الجزيرة بودكاست The Israeli military fired missiles from a helicopter into the densely populated Janine refugee camp this week, escalating fighting there to a level not seen in a generation. It looked like a war. It looked like a battlefield. Israeli forces entered Janine refugee camp and a fierce firefight broke out. The Israeli army described it as a massive exchange of fire. Nida Ibrahim, Al Jazeera's correspondent in the occupied West Bank, says it's evoking memories of the Second Intifada. Many of today's fighters are too young to remember those days, but armed resistance in the West Bank appears to be growing again. As far as Palestinians are concerned, they're trying to fight back with the little equipment, training that they have. As far as Israel, they could take this into a war with airstrikes, full-on invasion. So what is driving the current cycle of violence? I'm Kevin Hurton, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. My name is Nida Ibrahim. My whole life has been here in the occupied West Bank, and this is the story that I've been telling. Nida has been covering this latest escalation of violence all week, including an Israeli drone strike on Wednesday. I spoke to Nida on Tuesday evening, after she got back from a busy day of reporting. So, Nida, I want to start with what's been going on in the occupied West Bank for the last year. It's been one of the most violent in a long time. Well over 100 people have already been killed just this year. And a lot of it is centered in the city of Jenin. You've been going to Jenin practically every week, it seems, to cover it. Maybe you can set the scene for us. So Jenin is a Palestinian city in the occupied West Bank, towards the north of it. And it has been a prominent name in the news since 2002. This is all that remains of Jenin refugee camp in the West Bank. Once home to over 14,000 Palestinian refugees, it's now been reduced to rubble. That's when fighters from the Jenin refugee camp, highly dense, highly populated refugee camp, one of the largest ones. Those fighters in 2002 were attacking Israel. And Israel has raided the camp in what is known there now as the Jenin massacre or the Jenin battle. So it's a place for many Palestinians in the refugee camp. It's a place that resembles defiance. We've been hearing Palestinian fighters say that this camp does not succumb. And you've had people, we've been speaking to fighters who are uh, young, who have not witnessed the battle in the refugee camp. But at the other hand, all of what they've been witnessing throughout their lives is the continuation of the decades-long military occupation. So... In fighting this week, the Israeli military used combat aircraft 
in Janine, firing missiles from an Apache helicopter. It's the first time we've seen something like this in two decades, really. It started when the Israeli army went in to make some arrests, and it set off this dramatic and deadly chain of events. You were there. Can you tell us what happened? So in the early hours of the morning, the Israelis entered the refugee camp, as they've been doing for the past year. And they said that the aim of that raid is to arrest two Palestinian suspects of carrying out attacks. And the Israeli soldiers were surprised with the fact that Palestinian explosive devices have managed to ambush and corner at least five Israeli armored vehicles and injure eight Israeli soldiers. Israeli helicopter gunships then fired missiles into the camp in a bid to extract the soldiers in the vehicle. It's the first time Israel has used helicopter gunships for an attack inside the occupied West Bank in more than 20 years. This was very surprising for the Israeli forces because although we've been seeing a lot of confrontations and armed confrontations with the Israeli forces during the past year, we haven't been seeing soldiers and and armored vehicles being trapped. It took an hour for the soldiers to be evacuated. And it took many more hours for them to be able to take the armored vehicles out. Mm. So I... I saw that seven people were killed, Palestinians were killed, but 90 were injured. I mean, missiles being fired into what you described as a very densely packed city, that's just going to cause a lot of damage. Uh, It's not just going to kill people. A lot of people are going to get hurt and traumatized. And I feel like this is something we don't focus enough on. Have you talked to people who were wounded or had family members who were wounded? I mean, one of those who were killed, he succumbed to his wounds hours after the raid ended. And he was unable to get uh, any medical help. So some of those who lost their lives, you know, probably they could have been saved earlier had the ambulances were able to reach them. So this is one of the manifestations of the 10-hour raid This was one of the problems that you had journalists, that you had medical teams being really surrounded under fire and they couldn't offer help to those needed. Like, which story do you do first? Yeah. You know, they're they're all important stories and they're, they're all important to be told. One in particular was mothers identifying their sons after an Israeli raid that happened with us in a village near Jenin. The mother was going to her work when she heard that there were gunshots. And then when she came closer to see, it was her son she was able to tell from his clothes. Uh, But she couldn't even identify his body because of the number of the bullets. So many stories that we've been coming across in the past year and that did not always have the time or did not always make airtime. After the break, why the current cycle of violence in the occupied West Bank is showing no signs of slowing down. Winnie Mandela was hailed as an anti-apartheid hero and reviled as a corrupt child killer. But in hindsight, can she be both? If she had never married Nelson Mandela, Would we even have heard of her? 
Yes, most likely. I'm Charles Dance. Listen as I trace the life of Winnie Marikazila Mandela. Hindsight by Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. The escalation in violence that took place this week followed a cycle that is familiar. So the raid in Janine was on Monday. On Tuesday, two Palestinian fighters entered a nearby settlement and shot four Israelis there dead. In the early hours of Wednesday, settlers wreaked havoc, attacking Palestinian villages across the West Bank. Overnight, Palestinians say Israeli settlers attacked dozens of villagers, injuring at least 37, and set fire to multiple vehicles as well as farmland and crops. Later on Wednesday, an Israeli drone strike killed Palestinian fighters near Janine leading to promises of further retaliation. Nida sent us this update from the field on Thursday afternoon. In Jenin, another dramatic situation has unfolded when the Israeli forces have fired missiles from a drone and assassinated three Palestinian men in Jenin that it said had uh, committed a shooting towards an Israeli military point nearby. No injuries were reported in that shooting. Nida has also reported on the growing number of Palestinian groups that are taking up arms. So Palestinians in Jenin have been called by the Israelis as the wasp's nest. And we've seen Palestinian fighters wearing that name on their headbands. And the example of Jenin has been spreading out in other cities as well. Now we're seeing young men grouping together outside of the political affiliation, working together in Nablus, in Jenin. Recently, we've been seeing Tul Karim, Jericho, mobilizing and conducting shooting attacks against Israeli targets. Some of the attacks happened in Israel proper. The chaotic aftermath of a major attack deep inside Israel, the third in just a week. At least four people were killed when a gunman opened fire in a crowded ultra-Orthodox city just east of Tel Aviv. When people talk about what happened in Jenin, there's a sense that, okay, you know what? Maybe armed resistance is the way to go as opposed to the political solution. They've all been disillusioned by the Palestinian Authority, and I'm here talking about those uh, who chose the armed confrontation as a way to move forward. And they've been seeing a lot of support in the street. And in the polls that we've been reading, there's a lot of support for those armed groups. I mean, this is such an important point because when the political process collapses, this is what fills the void, right? This is a new generation of Palestinians who've known nothing but occupation. And would it be fair to say that these are young men who feel like they have nothing else to lose? It's... mm. It's difficult to frame it this way, because when we talk to Palestinian fighters, and and some of the fighters I've been speaking to in the Janine refugee camp were saying, it's not that we are desperate, it's not a suicidal thing. Mm. They're saying that anyways, we're being killed. Anyways, those raids sometimes hit civilians just like that. Um, Let's not forget that Janine is where our colleague Shirin Abu Aqli, the prominent Al Jazeera journalist, was killed. Palestinians want the world to know that they're not killing themselves, but 
they are fighting for the right to stay on the lands. We see Israeli settler attacks that have been on the rise. We see Palestinians who lose their lands almost on a daily basis to Israeli settlers. And eventually they say, okay, you know what? We're going to keep on fighting because how else are we going to get free given the fact that they believe that the Palestinian Authority is very, very weak and cannot offer them any solution. Um, maybe not a surprising reaction considering Israel's government right now is the most right-wing government they've ever had. Members of the government are now calling for a full-scale operation. Can you just explain how this new government has contributed to the current crisis? This is a government of settlers and by settlers and for the service of settlers. The UN Secretary General says he's deeply troubled by the Israeli government's decision to speed up the construction of illegal settlements in the occupied West Bank. In a statement, a spokesman for Antonio Guterres said that he's alarmed by the anticipated advancement next week of over 4,000 settlement units. Now, yes, it is the most right-wing Israeli government that we've been seeing, but it would be unfair to insinuate that it is the only one that has been helping the settlement activity because the settlement enterprise has started decades and decades ago. Palestinians would tell you that the difference between this government and the ones before is the fact that it's blunt, is the fact that it is going against international law but defending it. Palestinians are wary of insinuating that this is the only time and the first time that Israeli governments are occupying the West Bank or expanding settlements, when indeed it's being accelerated. Right now, this government wants to finish off what they couldn't before, which is basically isolating Palestinian communities from one another and preventing the possibility of having a contiguous Palestinian state with continuity in its territory. There's also a lot of animosity towards the local government, the Palestinian Authority. How much of the frustration is directed towards their own leaders? Let's remember, we're talking about a young society here. Young people who've been born and raised under military occupation. They believe that if the Palestinian Authority cannot be part of the solution, then it is part of the problem. They've been saying, the Palestinian Authority, we are against attacks against Israelis. We're too weak. We cannot fight against Israelis. So there is this policy by the Palestinian Authority that the Palestinians say is part of their problem. They say the Palestinian Authority doesn't have any cards to play in the game, which is why Israel has been invading cities and towns and killing Palestinians without accountability. You were at the funerals of the people killed in Janine, uh, including a child and teenagers. And... This year alone, I looked up the stats, 26 children have already been killed, and it's only June. I guess the question is, how are you able to make sense of any of this? And how do you continue to look these parents in the eye 
knowing that it could get even worse in the future. I won't tell you about me. I'll tell you about a very good friend of mine, a veteran journalist who is very close to journalist Shirin Abu Aqli. And when he went to report on the story of the killing of a two-year-old Palestinian who was shot by Israeli forces in the town of Nabi Saleh. Mohammed Haytham Tamimi and his father were hit by Israeli fire on Thursday while sitting in a car. He started crying in a way that the father of the child was consoling him. It's hard to report on the stories of children specifically. It's hard to imagine how we covered the story of a seven-year-old who ran away fearing the Israeli army that was chasing him, that he literally died out of fear. You know, it's, it's hard for us because we want to tell the story, but at the same time, sometimes it's hard to look at the eyes of the parents and say, can you tell me what happened? The pain is too big for us to be asking those questions sometimes, but we know that part of what we do is to tell the story. And we know that the Israeli attacks against us, the fact that they're trying to intimidate us and push us away from coverage, this makes our jobs even more important. Basically, because they don't want us there, we find it in us. We find the courage in us to keep going. But again, this is not the story of journalists. This is not about us, and it should not be about us. We just want to tell the story of the people. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by David Enders and Khaled Sultan with... Amy Walters, Sonia Bagat, Chloe K. Lee, Miranda Lynn, Ashish Malhotra, and me, Kevin Hurton, filling in for Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Alexandra Locke is the take's executive producer. And Nay Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio.